Working Cows Podcast, episode 240. Welcome to the podcast that gives producers a platform to discuss and share paradigm-challenging practices. Practices that have increased the effectiveness of their operation and the joy that their families have received from this lifestyle. Howdy, everybody. This is Clay Connery, host of the Working Cows podcast, powered by the Global Ag Network. And this episode is brought to you by Grasshopper Mowers. With Grasshopper Mowers, nothing gets in the way of mow day. It doesn't matter whether you're on the backfield or the front yard. On mow day, perfection is a game of inches. It's a battle of fence line and fierce terrain. Out there, on that grasshopper mower, you don't let anything stop your stripes. Nothing stands in the way of a job well done. For more on Mow Day and Grasshopper Mowers, visit grasshoppermower.com. Very excited to share with you today an interview I did with Kurt and Darren Nelson. Kurt is a farmer uh, from eastern South Dakota near Brookings, South Dakota, a little bit southeast of Brookings and Darren got in touch with me after hearing some of the Stoneville stories episodes that I've been doing and asked me to come and sit down with his grandpa and talk to him and uh, just had a really neat opportunity to sit down and capture some of his uh, his experiences and Darren sat in with us and helped guide the conversation a little bit and I really appreciate that. Uh, it was a real privilege to to get to travel over there and, and chat with them uh, for a little bit about these things. And uh, just a really unique perspective. I mean, he's he's gone from horse-drawn agriculture to self-driving tractors. He's seen that transition in his lifetime. So it's a pretty fun, pretty fun conversation, and I'm excited to share it with you right now. Kurt, uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for agreeing to do this. I, I really appreciate it. Okay. I guess where I'd like to start is um, – how did your family come to be connected to this land or were you, did you grow up farming and, and all that as a kid? Well, my folks moved here in 1913 and, uh, my dad emigrated from, from, uh, Dane land. Mm. And, uh, so this was their first endeavor after they were married I've been on this same farm for 74 years. Okay. I was born and raised here. Mm. And they were, uh, this is where they came when they came from Daneland? Or? Yes. Gotcha. Yep. And you said that was in 1913? It was. Yep. And what brought them here specifically? Do you know how they, why well, they came here? I guess they were looking for land and looking for the, Price and of course land in in South Dakota at that time was cheaper than it was in Iowa. For they first came to Iowa. Sure, that's where my mother was born. Was in Iowa. Okay, and <clears throat> was her family multiple generations in Iowa? Or yeah, uh, she had several sisters and a couple couple brothers. Gotcha. Yep. And so what were you you were born here that's is that right 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 and what what are some of your 
early memories about how things were done on the on the farm? My dad always had hired help. It seemed like one or two, and uh, we did the whole nine yards as far as we had milk cows. We had uh, cows that just raised calves, and we had pigs and sheep and chickens. So that was kind of the what all people had in this part of the world was considerable variety of of livestock. My dad always said if one, like if the pigs didn't make money, well, maybe the cattle would. And so that was part of the reason for having some of each. Was it a homestead? Did they homestead this place or was it already in operation? I, I don't think they homesteaded it. It's just turned to be a hundred years old about uh, two years ago. Okay. Not all of that was in your family? Your family hasn't owned it for that whole hundred years? or Yes, they have. Oh, they have. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Wow. That's very very cool. Do you remember the kind of the scale back then? Was it a, a smaller scale and more diversified? Like you said, the cows and the sheep and the or cows and the pigs and the chickens and all those things? Or Oh, yeah. There wasn't such a thing as uh, tractors at that time. Right. And my dad loved horses. Mm. And he was always, he just loved to trade horses or buy and sell horses. And uh, he actually, at that time, owned a stud horse mm. that he traveled to the neighborhood to... Uh, People that won their mares bred, and, and then later on, why he ended up uh, for three different stud horses, a different uh, breeding kind of. And so, if somebody wanted their own horse to breed their mares, or or uh, a sorrel, or whatever, why they had their choices. Sure. So they weren't necessarily draft horses, or were they? Yes, they were. They were draft horses. Yeah. Okay. I don't think I've ever seen a roan draft horse that I know of. That's it. interesting. Uh, I guess they're like every other horse, probably. They come in all colors, but I mostly, most of the draft horses I've seen, I just don't think I've seen a roan one of, in all the ones I've seen, I guess. <laughs> but, Yeah. So it was all all done. The work was all done by horse. Do you remember working the fields by horse then? Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when I was seven years old. My dad put me on a one-row corn cultivator pulled by a team of horses, and it was right close to the building spot here. And uh, told me to go ahead and learn how to cultivate. And when I was cultivating that day, I had a shower of rain come up when I was about halfway across the field. So I turned around and headed back to the buildings because I didn't want to get wet. And I really caught it from my dad when he learned that I turned around in the middle of the field because the horses would have stomped on some rows of corn and destroyed them. Sure. So I learned a lesson there. Yeah. <laughs> and did you say, uh, oh, destroyed the corn. That's what you said, right? Yeah, I see. And so can you kind of walk me through that, that process of, of uh, working fields by horses? Is it 
similar to the way it's done now work the working the fields is just on a slower at a slower pace or less rows per per pass or is it has it changed some oh much much slower yeah i mean we didn't have i don't know that we had more than a quarter of a ground to to work with uh for crops you know i i don't ever remember of having more than the one quarter but uh as time went on, my dad bought more land or rented more land. And uh, at the end of the horse, uh, we had uh, three two-row cultivators pulled by horses. I remember that with the rest of the guys all pitched in and helped. And, and the other thing was, if you covered up a hill of corn, by whatever reason, why well, you had to stop and walk back and brush the corn or the dirt off the corn, so you still survived the corn. Huh. So you were you were talking about having a, a quarter of ground, and was it was there some pasture in that quarter and some some crops in that quarter, or was it all all crops? It was all crop, but. Uh, one little piece that we had to have grass, a pasture for milk cows, and we, at that at that time, well, when I was a teenager, I milked seventeen cows by hand, and then uh, eventually, Dad bought a milking machine, and and uh, but it, after milking cows by hand and one thing or another, I decided when I was on my own that uh, I wasn't going to milk cows. <laughs> it, I don't think you're alone in that. <laughs> <laughs> Many people that grow up milking cows don't don't continue after that, especially not hand milking. <laughs> uh, so then was all the corn that you raised going into the cows or in the, in the pigs and the chickens, or was it some of it raised to sell, or how, how was I don't think we had very much to sell. We we not only raised corn, but we had oats and barley and wheat. And I don't know whether we always had the the same amount each time, but the variety changed from time to time. And was it a rotation then? The yeah, it was a rotation. Gotcha. So maybe a, a forty of each, or it might have. Might have been different years, different yeah parts were planted. Yeah. I see different, and then those you know the the oats and the barley and the wheat, all of that going into the into the animals here, or some of it being sold. Some of it was being sold. I think some of the wheat yeah. was sold, and I don't know if there was any corn to be sold. Uh, I don't remember that part, but uh, oats. Some oats were sold. The biggest thing was in the, when I was, uh, before I was even a teenager, I remember hauling oats to town, but it was generally such a light test weight that it wasn't worth a lot of money mm. because of all the dry years we had. The dry years were in the 30s. In 31 to 33, 
We had mm. terrible dry years and dust storms that you wouldn't believe. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We've gotten a taste of that. <laughs> nothing nothing like them. You know, we had we've got some grass that's holding some things in place, but I've seen more dust blow the last this last summer than I'd ever seen in my life. So I remember uh my dad and my brother, my brother was eleven years older than I was. I was the runt of the family. And uh I suppose I was about six years old. They had a terrible dust storm that day and and my mother was worried about because my dad and brother were out disking in a cornfield with horses. They each had two each had a disc and a uh some horses. I don't remember at that time how many horses they had to pull it with. There's probably four horses for each disc. Oh. But anyhow, the the, uh, the sky turned black and the wind was ferocious. And uh, she said, let's go out by the ends of the trees. We had trees all around this building spot, kind of like we have now. And... Uh, so we went out where the gate was to go to the field. And it was just such a terrible wind, but we couldn't see anything and we couldn't hardly know where we were going. But all of a sudden we heard some noises. And it was my dad and brother coming with their teams through the gate. And they said that they just let the horses hmm. have their go where they wanted to go hmm. and they found their way through the gates yep but that was a terrible terrible wow. black day wow yeah <laughs> that's 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 amazing um so they were disking um how many how many discs behind the, each or those four horses do you know do you remember no i don't know they're probably 10 foot okay gotcha and wow so the um the wheat was being sold the oats and the barley and the corn probably going back into the cattle and yeah, the for the pigs. pigs a lot of times for the pigs yep and so then were you guys selling milk and and pork or what what else were you selling well we were selling milk in town in brookings uh a lot of times there was a 10-gallon cream can. We we uh, we separated the milk. It had a cream separator, they called it, in the basement. Mm -hmm. And uh, after milk, cows were milked, they carried the milk from the barn to the basement of the house, dumped it in that cream separator and turned that. And then the cream we put in a different can and the milk in a different can. And when we went to town on Saturday night, which was the night to go to town, I put a can of cream or milk, either one or both, in the trunk of the car and the way to the town, and I sold that. And also, it took a, a crate of eggs or a basket of eggs or whatever and uh, took them along to town on Saturday night. The eggs were supposedly, or hopefully, bought the groceries that we needed for the coming week, mm. and along with the cream check and the milk check. So, 
you would pick up a cream check and a milk check on Saturday for the previous week, or how did that work? Yeah, for the previous week. Gotcha. What you hauled in last Saturday, and was there was there somebody there to receive the cream and hand out the checks? Then? Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. And so the cream produced by seventeen cows and the and the eggs was basically what your family was living on. Is that right? That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's a. We've come a ways from that. I, you know, I think it, it takes a lot, a lot more um, ground and head of livestock than that to for a family to to get by these days. I, would you? I, you would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. What is? How, what has been? What's brought that change on? Do you know, or do, can you? Do you have any perspective on that? Well, <laughs> I guess it, people get, at the time they got a little money in their pocket, why they spent it on things to increase their livelihood. Sure. So we're living a little bit fancier now than, than you were then? Is, Absolutely. Is <laughs> no question about it? <laughs> no question about it. <laughs> yeah. Was Is this house here in the yard the one that you grew up in? or? Uh, basically, I was born like in... 28 that house was built in in 26 okay yes fiber my uncle built the house was and uh so that's was a big improvement over what we had sure and um you mentioned an older brother how many siblings did you have had two older sisters plus my brother okay just four of you then yep yep and your dad had hired men, quite a quite a few of them, or well, maybe maybe uh, one, two at a time, or okay. whatever. And but did, they stayed with, right, lived right in the house with the okay, family. That's, yep, that's what I was going to ask if they lived. And then, so the the neighborhood. Can you tell me about the neighborhood? the The people was there kind of a farm on every quarter, and real similar operations where they had some milk cows and some pigs and chickens and. Pretty similar, uh, similar deal. We had people that lived right across the road to the south here. They were didn't have children of their own, but uh, they always always remember him telling that he had a Model T Ford, and he said it didn't make any difference when they went to town whether they took the team or took the Model T Ford. It was five miles an hour either way. <laughs> and how far are you guys from Brookings? We're about nine miles. Okay, couple hour trip to town. Then. Yeah. And and you said that the the cream can went in the trunk of the car. What was the car that you were taking to town back then? Well, at that time it was a, a Chevrolet. I don't remember anything more about it. It was, of course, an older car. Yeah. Did it? I mean, it had four doors and a trunk. Then, or, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's. I was wondering if it was how what what vintage it was, but uh, I don't. I don't know that I've ever seen a car that you could fit a cream can. Did it, it had to stand up? I would imagine, right? Oh yes. <laughs> so it's a different kind of car than we have today, where you you couldn't even hardly lay a cream can down in some of the trunks I've seen. <laughs> Later on, my dad. Uh, 
bought a different car, and that was a 1937 Studebaker. Mm. And that was had a bigger trunk. And uh, my, my two sisters uh, got to where they were teaching school in the neighborhoods around the country. And uh, in the wintertime, why it was up to my dad or my brother or the hired help to see that they got to the school that they were teaching. And uh, the one one that I remember about was about three or four miles from uh, this place, and uh, so was the other one, about three or four miles. Country schools? Country schools. Kindergarten through eighth grade. One-room school. And uh, in the wintertime when it was... You know, 20 below or there's snowstorm, blizzard, whatever. They still had to get to school. So my dad uh, would get a team of horses out or one of the guys and hook it onto the car because it never would start when it was cold. <laughs> and there used to be a windmill right in the middle of the yard. And I remember watching out the window. And they'd go round and around the windmill pulling the car, try to make it start. And a lot of times it wouldn't start, so they just went ahead and, and uh, with the team of horses, pulled the car to wherever the schools were that the girls were teaching. <laughs> and, by the, and the guy that was driving the team would sit on the front fender of the car. By the time he got back home with the team and the car, they were Almost froze to death. Oh, I can't imagine it. You know, just a terrible, yeah. terrible job. Yeah, like you said, four, five miles an hour, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it'd take you a couple hours just to get there and back. One, one to one of them. You know, yeah. you're talking. Then they had to go in the afternoon again and bring them home. Wow, that is. That wow. went on for several years. Huh. Yeah, and. um that your sisters were living here while they were teaching school then? They were at, at those uh, closer schools. They eventually were teaching schools and further away where they stayed with the farm family closer to the closer to their school. Sure. Gotcha. So what was involved in a trip to town on a Saturday night? You talk about going on a Saturday night. Was it later in the in the evening or pretty early in the afternoon that you would head that direction? And oh, I imagine it was 7, 8 o'clock at night at least before we left to go to town. Huh. Wow. And, yeah, so grocery stores and everything were still open and oh, yeah. get all, your, all yeah. your supplies and everything. Yeah. Was, was there a big garden here that you guys took a lot of produce out of and, yeah. and things like that? My mother had a big garden. Yep, and kind of potatoes in the basement or in a root cellar somewhere or something like that. She canned a lot of food. Yep. Canned a lot of food. Yep. And so what was the groceries that you were, or supplies that you were getting on a trip to town? Do you remember? Well, I don't remember for sure what all came back. uh, Of course, some vegetables and most of the meat that we ate came from our own raising. Uh, whether it be a pig or most generally butchered a pig once a year and had a beef once a year. So 
that pretty much took care of that part of it. Sure. And just a dairy steer that you'd butcher? Yeah, or? probably. Yeah. And did you, were they, what breed of cows did you have? Do you remember? Were they Holstein or Well, not, not all. Some were Holstein, but they were kind of a mixture. Sure. Mixture of different. Dairy breeds. Well, not necessarily all of them, but okay. once in a while they get to be a Hereford that's stuck in there that I see. we milk. I see. They're the right temperament anyways. Yeah. <laughs> what about uh, putting a dairy bull on them then? Keep a dairy bull around to put on them or how did? No, I don't think so. Okay. I don't remember what they used for bulls. Gotcha. Would a neighbor bring one over maybe or something? No. 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 It, so it was a beef. Beef. Probably a beef breed then. Yeah. I see. Gotcha. Well, there's a lot of people finishing half dairy breeds now and doing a pretty good job of it, I think. So I think yeah. there wasn't. Yeah, had its merits, I, I think, and and so, but the selling the calves, keeping replacements. Uh, what were you doing with the calves out of those dairy cows? Always, uh, my dad always fed them out with grain, and then hauled them to market. Okay, and were they uh, backgrounded? Were they finished? Were no, they? they were finished. Okay, wow, and um, a lot of times. He liked to go to the sale barns, and he would buy maybe a, a young bull that needed castrating, and we did that ourselves. And the same way with pigs. Might be a boar or two he'd bring home because he could buy them a little cheaper, and we'd bring them home and castrate them. And that was that was a, a weekly job hmm. Yeah, help do that. Gotcha. And were there always? He was selling those those finished steers into the into the sale barn or the market. Is that right? Not, they weren't going to a butcher or. Well, generally they went to a stockyards in Sioux Falls. Gotcha. And there, they uh, some packing house guy bought them in later years, at least. Right. And were there multiple buyers then? I mean. Yeah, there generally was three or four buyers. And they were buying for packing houses in different places? Yes. Not just Sioux Falls? No, different places. Yeah. And how far away do you do you know how far away they might end up? Would they go to Iowa, Wisconsin, Chicago? Well, Morell's had a plant in Sioux Falls. Right. And so that was one of the first places. Right. And then there was another plant in Minnesota where some of them went. And in, in Iowa, too, in later years. Sure. And how were they hauling them to Sioux Falls at that time, those finished steers? Were they uh, like a trailer load at the time, or did they have a... Well, they didn't know what semis were at them years. Right. <laughs> it was just a little... My dad had a 16-foot truck, 16-foot okay. box that sure. you could put generally about nine steers on if they were fat. And he was what we call in the trucking business... At that time, along with farming, because hmm. at that time you had to have a permit to haul somebody else's cattle hmm. or pigs or sheep or whatever, and uh, so he would uh, he would haul whenever one of the neighbors wanted to sell some way, he'd haul them to Sioux Falls for him. Sure, that was their general place to sell them. Yep, and. Uh, 
we're talking like a 16 foot straight truck right yep with a flatbed that you'd put a box on to haul the cattle in you'd have livestock had high sides you'd haul cattle right and also then, had a what we called a double deck in it if we wanted to haul sheep why hmm. you could put sheep on top of the deck and underneath yep. and uh same way as pigs all oh. gr- so go ahead my dad passed away in 1948, hmm. and uh, so at that time, I thought it was pretty neat just to keep that business going, so I took over the business of hauling the livestock and whatever else for the neighbors and one thing or another. Sure. Which was one of the wrong. I should never have done that. I did never, never made any money doing that. I just broke even, I think. Yeah. And that. You would have been 20 at that time, is that right? Well, I probably, yeah, pretty close. Same truck hauling grain then, too? You're right. Yep. And just the the one truck? Yes. Yep. The the grain you were hauling, um, we talked about, was probably wheat. Is that right? Wheat or corn. Yep. And same thing hauling for the neighbors, too? Yeah. In the later years, my, my brother bought a corn sheller that mounted on a truck and he shelled corn for everybody around the neighborhood and uh, and it got to be where we had government that was buying some corn and they had bins around the different spots in the neighborhood and so then when he was shelling corn why the there wasn't a lot of neighbors that had trucks so I got in on hauling corn for that he shelled to some of those bend sites, also to some of the elevators in town. Sure. And the was the, what was the government doing with the corn when they were buying it at that time? They eventually sold it, but they figured by taking it off the market, I guess they raised the price. I don't right. know. Yep. It was a pretty, it was around that time when they really started to push it to cattle. It hadn't been a, always been a cattle feed, had it? I mean, it, no, not always, I guess. Yeah. So I, I feel like that was somewhere in that neighborhood of post-World War II, maybe. That My dad used to fill silo for people and the neighbors, and we had a what they called a stationary cutter. You had to cut the, bu- or cut the corn in bundles and then load them on a rack and haul them up and throw them in a conveyor that went into where they got chopped sure. up and load in the silo yeah and it was separate was it separating corn uh chaff from kernels or no no all together the whole thing was going the yeah. whole plant yep wow huh what about was the livestock or um did you say you guys had sheep too yes yeah okay so were they out on the fields on the farm fields in the in the winter time or in the yes a lot of times they were we generally didn't buy the lambs. Generally, the lambs, most of the lambs came from West River. Hmm. They came on the train hmm. the first couple of years that I remember. And uh, then we'd unload them in Brookings. And uh, two of the years, we drove them on the road from, the, from Brookings out here to the farm. Wow. And then... Uh, my dad made they made sheep bunks, just little A-frame bunks, 
And uh, generally we ground a lot of feed, a lot of corn and oats and stuff to feed them sheep. And then uh, turn them out in the cornfield to clean up what the uh, corn picker missed and sure. stuff like that. Yeah. And so I'm sorry, I always say I'm, I'm row crop illiterate, but the, the corn picker, was it was taking the whole plant? Is that right? Just the ears. Just the ears, right. Okay. That's what I was. So then you were talking about the... Um, <clears throat> talking about throwing the whole plant though into that, into the deal that shot it into the bin, right? Right. Would it come out of that as silage then? Yes. Okay. So it was fermenting in there. At that time, there was a lot of people that just uh, didn't have an upright silo, what we call a cement stave, and uh, a lot of times they would take a bunch of corn cribbing. Which is slatted and and uh, fill that full for a pile on the ground, but most generally people started putting up silos and uh, cement stave silos and and uh, we'd fill them, put a big pipe up, and most of them were around about forty foot tall. And then, where did it go from there? How did it come out, and where did it go? How did it get fit? Go, go right down in the silo. Right, and then when we wanted to feed the cattle that silage way, then you crawled up the what they called a chute, where all the doors were. One side of the silo had doors the full length of it, about every three feet there was a door, and uh, so you go up with a with a fork and a maybe a pickaxe in the winter time because the silage would freeze. And uh, you didn't want it to build up along the walls of the silo because it might fall down and kill you. Mm. So we'd throw the silage down, and then when it got down on the what you thought you had enough and a pile on below, then you took a two-bushel basket and you carried it out to the feed punks, which generally were close by, and uh, you dump it in the feed bunk for the cattle. So the boys were the mixer wagon back in that day. There was no mixer, mixer wagon. You were it, yeah, <laughs> yeah with your bu- bushel basket, <laughs> two bushel basket. So you said that you would, uh, so the the doors went up the side of the silo, and then you'd climb inside and and throw it down. Was there a chute at the bottom? A chute all along in front of those doors. Okay, so you were throwing it out those doors, and yeah, I see. Yep, gotcha. Uh, but you were inside the inside right. the silo, yeah, and making sure that it didn't build up on the walls so it wouldn't fall. Yeah. When and when it was real cold in the winter, like twenty below, then the silage would breeze, freeze next to the wall. Right, and you had to hit. It had to have the pickaxe to yeah. get it. Huh? Yeah. Um. So then, do you do you are there any any years that stand out? You mentioned the 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 dust in the in I think you said thirty one and thirty two were the dry years. Is that right? Right. Were there any other years that stand out as far as weather is concerned, whether it's winter storms or wet years? or? Well, I don't know for sure which years were wet, considered wet. Uh, probably, uh, probably in 37, 38, along in there, things started looking up and and uh, that's when we started, started, my dad started buying a tractor or two, 
uh, Ellis Chalmers tractor with rubber tires, which was unheard of. <laughs> and uh, we generally sowed the oats in the spring with the Engate cedar and a team of horses. And uh, when uh, almost had to have four horses to pull the wagon through all the mud a couple of the years. Back in uh, probably 37, 38. Sure. And you said end gate cedar? Yeah. Can you tell me how that worked? I don't. <laughs> well, you, you put the, the seed in the box, mm-hmm. and then uh, you had a an end, what they call the end gate cedar, that you fastened to the back end of the box, and it had fans underneath. There are two fans. And, you, and then a hopper, you scoop the oats in the hopper and the chain on the wheel of the wagon that would drive the the cedar. Mm-hmm. And then you drove about, you guessed about how wide you're throw, throwing the oats. And when you came back, you'd move over where you thought was right width and make another pass back. So it was... Broadcast yes. planning, basically. Yes. I see. Okay. And a lot of times after you seeded the, before the oats came up, we had what they called a drag, and you'd take and hook the horses to the drag and drag the oats so that uh, it got in the soil a little better and also so that it was smoother for harvest. Sure. Yep. You mentioned that the sheep came from, from West River on a train, um, and so you guys didn't lamb anything out, didn't have any ewes. It was my dad had a small flock of ewes. Okay, maybe forty, fifty head. Okay, and we'd raised lambs from them. Right, and then he was buying some extras to to, right. fe- to feed, and they went to Sioux Falls as well. Yep, gotcha. And you talked about um, them coming in on the train. They came to Brookings on the train. Yes. And then you also talked about driving them here, and that was just kind of a, a few of you on foot. Yep. Or ha- yep. Walking, walking them. Yeah. Walk behind them. Nine miles. <laughs> get, them, get them to go the right place, not, yep. not go where they weren't supposed to. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that would have been you and your dad, your brother, and the hired men? Yes. Hired man or hired men? Yeah. The four or five of you that took to get them? Get them here, yeah. That's interesting. And uh, how was that purchase made? Do you know? Um, did it, your dad know somebody West River that he bought them from directly, or did he have a buyer out there buy them for him? Or I guess he had somebody that I think it was somebody from here that kind of specialized in doing that. I think a guy lived in Flandreau at that time, and and uh, I think that's who he went through to. Pay to get those sheep. Sure. Do you have any idea where they came from? Came just all. All I know is out from around around Faith, out in that oh, country. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, my dad has said for a long time that there wasn't a. My dad always said there isn't a ranch north or west of Belfouche that wasn't paid for with sheep. And then I moved northeast of Belfouche, and I figured out those ranches were all paid for with sheep too. So it's uh, it was there. The coyotes have chased a lot of people out. I think partly, um, and then the 
they're more labor intensive than a cow. And so I think when the kids leave, a lot of times the sheep leave behind them. <laughs> so Well, the sheep will lead if you get one to go. Right. Otherwise, if you have to drag one out and the rest don't follow, you're in trouble. You've got to drag the next one out. Yep. Yep. That's for sure. And uh, so they they came in on the on the train where do you is that depot still there in brookings or is it it's no longer there no longer there but. no there's a bulk gas delivery station <laughs> there now okay and is the is the track still running through but in a different place or is yeah it, yep gotcha yep huh that's interesting uh you what about other any other winters or winter storms that stand out that stand out in your mind as far as <laughs> the road that goes by this farm used to be what they called a township road and there was trees on both sides of it hmm. and a lot of them were ash trees big trees and until I was married there was the road was the same thing but then they powers to be decided they were going to put a new road in there and they they took all the trees out mm. and piled them along the or drag them next to the fence next to the road the new road but before that the snow was almost impossible to keep clean on those roads because of all the trees sure and my cousin who lived just a quarter of a mile from here, we both had the same kind of tractors. We had international M tractors with loaders on them. And we made a V plow on to put on one of the loaders. And then the other loader, we put a deal to hook up to the drawbar of the first one. So we had one pushing the other one. And when the roads got pl- plugged, then we would go out and try and plow them out with that snow plow that we made. Well, it was all right till the, till the snow got too deep and too heavy and too hard. But we had to do a lot of welding and a lot of fixing a lot of times. But it was quite a quite a thing compared to what we were using before <laughs> yeah you talked about your dad bringing home an alice chalmers tractor with rubber tires um do you remember was that were all tractors back then classified by the number of bottoms they would pull is that how they were all numbered or is that yes, just the, yes okay. they were so do you remember how many what two what? two bottom plow okay so it was a two bottom tractor yeah. plow gotcha yeah and um that's it, it did it replace the horses at that time or did they well eventually it did right but it took a little while to get my uh getting back to the horses my dad used to break horses hmm. and uh he had a a horse drawn plow of course and he'd put two horses or three and then the horse that was green that didn't know what to do, he would put on the outside that he had to walk in the soft dirt. And that way it was more work for him and Tired he didn't 
he didn't try to run away or anything. Yeah. I seen my dad even put a what they called a uh, I don't know what they called it, but a, put a strap on his hind leg, one of them on his hoof, and uh, the rope back to where he was sitting on the plow. If the horse got too foxy, why well, he'd jerk on that rope and try and trip the horse. Mm. Mm. And uh, breaking horses to drive, or were they any of them ridden? Did any of them get ridden? Not, not those, not those horses. Yeah, my brother had a a pony that he rode. It uh, uh, was really a foxy one. Whenever uh, a lot of times he would take me to school, grade school, whenever the roads were plugged that I couldn't, or weather was too snowy to walk. Mm. A lot of times he'd just, I'd jump on behind him and away to school we'd go. Yeah, yeah. Your dad, you said, came to America in 1913? Yes. He would have been an adult then? Yes. And it was his, did he come alone? Well, he had different, uh, he had uh, quite a few siblings that were with him. I had uh, three or four aunts that lived in this part of the country, and... He had uh, a brother that who used to come up here that lived in Iowa at that time, but he used to come up here and help now and then. Sure. And did he grow up on a farm in it, it's be modern day Denmark? Is that right? Or, I I don't really know. Okay. Did he? You don't know if he grew up on a farm or did? I don't know. Okay. Gotcha. It would be modern day Denmark though, right? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. You took over at about 20 years old, is yes. kind of what we were saying. And was that you had the M tractor by then or before then? I had it by then. Yep. And, <coughs> yeah, just walk me through some of your early years of farming um, all tractor work by then. Yes. Horses, were were they gone? Well, pretty much. Yeah. And did you learn to drive the team i mean you knew to knew how to drive the teams and everything oh yeah uh, growing up um but did you continue to to break some horses no, no i did not so did your dad or did your brother or how how are the how was the horse population maintained is what i guess i'm trying to ask well it, it just kind of they got sold off to people who wanted to team of horses or whatever and they eventually got sold off sure and so then, um, did you have multiple tractors by you? I think you said 1948. Did you have multiple tractors here? Some with loaders, some without, and doing some of that work, or uh, probably not until 1950 or later. I see. Before you had multiple tractors here, yeah. But it was one tractor doing all the work, right? Every and then were you pulling pulling a a harvester or a a picker with that tractor by by that time, or? Uh, yes. Yes, to some, some extent. Yep. Early on, was it picked by hand? Was the corn picked by hand, or? Yes, it was. And a horse pulling a cart, throw it in the cart, or how? The horse was pulling a three-box three wagon, and it would hold about 100 bushels of ear corn. Mm. And uh, 
generally my dad had a, a one or two uh, people that would come and, and work just during that part of the season to pick corn besides the, our own help that we had. There generally was about three wagons out in the field at one time picking corn. And any of them neighbors or were they all yours? No. Sometimes there was a neighbor that came and helped. And then would you go and help them pick their corn after? Or I, I don't think so. Okay. Gotcha. Darren, you've been sitting here listening. Have, have we missed miss anything major? Um, Got some notes, I see. <laughs> yeah. I remember uh, the kids. Grandpa took my kids out picking rock one day, and and he told them about being drafted. Okay. And I hadn't ever heard that story before, but... Um, Would that have been in World War Two, or Korea? Korea. 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 Gotcha. And did you get deployed into into Korea then? No, I uh that was shortly after my dad passed away. Okay. It's in the same same year or the next year, I don't remember which. But uh I got called to at at that time Sioux Falls was the place to go to get checked up to see if you were eligible to go for to be drafted. Right. And uh so I went to with a busload of guys to Sioux Falls and went through the rigmarole and came back. Well, then I had to go meet with the draft board in Brookings. And uh, the head guy at the draft board said, well, he says, uh, you don't have to go serve on the, in the Army because your mother doesn't have anybody to run your farm. Mm-hmm. You're the only one left to, to run the farm, so we're going to defer you from running the, from going to the draft. But some of the my neighbors that went along, they were drafted. Sure, and you didn't have to do any kind of service in place no, of I going didn't. or anything. No, gotcha. Uh, and um, did your brother continue to farm in the in the neighborhood, or yeah, he f- had his own place. He, he had his own place. Gotcha. And um, we we basically worked together, though. Mm-hmm. It was close. Yeah. Gotcha. A neighboring quarter? or Yeah, just a mile away. I see. There's one thing that we missed, too, and that was when Grandpa quit school. It's pretty interesting. The choice your dad gave you either to continue on school or to to quit. What age was that? Well... When I graduated from eighth grade in school, he said, well, he said, you can either go to co- go to high school or you can work on the farm. So I said, I'll work on the farm. I'm smart. <laughs> and then he bought you a tractor to work on the farm, right? Yes, he did. He bought an Ellis Chalmers tractor. To, it was a smaller one. That I could handle, and I cultivated corn, and I did this and that, and most anything. And you would have been fourteen or fifteen at that time, is that right? Yeah. And so this would have been in forty-three or or something like that, yeah. forty-two, forty-three. Gotcha. 
that was my question I was coming back to is, can you tell me about the neighborhood life? What was life in the neighborhood like? Was there a lot of people around, uh, a lot of community events or gatherings at the community hall or church and some of those things? Well, there was some. We went to church in uh, Aurora, the Methodist Church in Aurora. That was, didn't go until my siblings were able to drive a car, I think. And uh, my mother would go. My dad never went to church. He was too busy. (laughs) And uh, where was, where's Aurora? I'm sorry, where's that from here? It's about seven miles from here. East? East east to north. It's about straight east of Brookings. Okay, gotcha. And uh, any any neighborhood gatherings or community gatherings, picnics or used to have some neighborhood picnics, but that was almost before my time. Okay, gotcha. Don't remember to go on go into many neighborhood no. functions or anything. No, like that. Neighbors coming over in the evenings or kind of private, kept to yourselves or do you remember? Oh, used to be some neighbors come over in the evening and visit. Maybe they'd play cards or maybe not. Sure. Yep. And just have supper together and, and enjoy the neighbors, yep. kind of. What are, what are some of your memories about your years of farming on your own? Um, you know, uh, some of the advancements. I mean, you've witnessed a lot. I think you were talking about a two-bottom tractor that you got, probably, right, in eighth grade? Yeah. And now... You you probably actively farmed into the, you know, for through a lot of transition. You've seen a lot of of change in farming over the years. Well, when my when my dad died, then of course there was an estate settlement, and uh, I don't remember how much land he owned at that time, but uh, that was was uh, divided up between. My two sisters and my brother, and uh, I ended up with the place here where I was born, but I had to pay some of my siblings in order to even up the amount of money it took to settle the estate. So then it was an equal share split between the four of you. Yeah. And uh, then later on, after... uh, a couple of years, I started buying some of my siblings' uh, land that they had inherited. And uh, so then had expansion of land and needed more more tractors and more help. And, and uh, one thing led to another. When I, uh, when I, first year I was married, why I had a, a single employee working here, and he lived in with us in the house. And so my new wife, or not new to any house, she had to cook for the single employee that we had. And uh, that was, as I think back, that was quite a quite an event to expect. Mm. A 19-year-old girl to step in and start cooking for everybody and things like that, but uh, she really, she really handled the challenge 
very well. Hmm. And then, uh, of course, that added more people to the family. My first son was born about, what, Daryl, a year later, a little over a year. Yeah, he was born in 53? 53. We were married in 52. So, and then Darren was born a year later than that. Greg. Greg. Or Greg, I mean. Your dad. Is My dad was the first one. Oh, okay. Greg gotcha. is number two. Gotcha. So it got to be more wheels. You didn't use horses anymore. Continued with the the uh, dairy, and you said you quit the dairy, or when? Or what time did you stop I milk quit, cows? I quit milk and just before I got married. Uh, so you would have been in your early 20s when you got married? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. And... And um, what what did you bring in to replace the the milk cows? Well, I think we just uh, bought more cattle to feed and fatten. I see. And uh, then had bigger, uh, more acres of crop, things like that. And uh, continued rotation of crops and selling wheat and feeding the corn to the to the cattle yeah we didn't we didn't grow wheat for many more years we kind of quit that and it was mostly corn and then soybeans started coming into the picture and so we we had uh, soybeans and corn and uh, always had a patch of alfalfa to cut for to feed the cattle and and that was put up in square bales? Yeah, or? at that time it was. That was before round bales were invented. Right. Do you remember any loose stacks? Do you ever put up any loose stacks? Okay. No. But I remember when the what we called the dirty 30s, we had Russian thistles. That's the only thing that grew. <laughs> and they were like tumbleweeds. I mean, they just, once the wind got hold of them, why they went and and filled the fences up. But my dad stacked uh, Russian thistles. I remember seeing at least two stacks where they would cut the mow of the thistles, push them up in a pile, and make a stack out of them. And he would uh, he would stack them with a fork. He'd get up on the stack and put push them around so that it kind of builds a, a square. Uh, mounds, but I remember him uh, coming in from uh, stacking one day, and his legs were all bloody, mm. and that was because the thistles were so scratchy. Yeah. They scratched his legs. Wow! After that, he put gunny sacks. So he tied one on each leg huh. with a twine string, huh. and then he'd get up in the stack, and then and why or how? Them cows ever survived on those things, I'll never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's probably some good nutrients in there, but it's hard to imagine something enjoying eating it. <laughs> I remember as a kid going with him in the fall of the year, the wind had blowed all the thistles up in the fence line along the roads and stuff, and then they would hold the snow when it snowed and close the road more. Mm. We'd take a five-gallon or ten-gallon cream can full of water 
and then I would have a smaller uh, thing, and he would light a fire to the thistles, but the wood posts, the pencils were all wooden, and of course they would burn up if it didn't. So I'd come along behind him with a scoop of water and try and put out the fire that was on the fence posts wow. before it burned them up. And so those were just blown, the thistle that was blown into the fence, he was just burning that out of it. Yeah. Gotcha. You were buying buying beef cow, beef calves yes. to feed? Were yeah. they weaned when you got them background? Not or? always, no. Sometimes come in balling and yeah. yep, get them straightened out. and Most generally they weren't weaned. Okay. And take them to finish? Yeah. And where were they coming from? They were coming from the local neighbors around. Okay. But years later on, probably in the in the early fifties, I started going out to Faith and buying cows, cattle, okay, calves. And would you haul those back on that same straight truck, or were no. you have a, We hired people with semis. Had a semi by then. I had a neighbor that did the same thing of feeding cattle, and and we would buy cattle, go out on the ranchers out by Faith and look at their cattle and agree to a price and then we'd haul them into faith and they would weigh them there and uh, sort them so that we got an even bunch of calves. Sure. Do you remember any of the names of the people you were buying cattle from back then? I can't remember the names. Yeah. That's if you would say them, I probably would know them. But sure. Yeah, and I've only been in that neighborhood for just a couple of years. I've heard some of the names for a long time, but I, you know, I've only been in that neighborhood for just a, a few years, so I don't even know all. And especially being as far from faith as I am now, I'm, I don't even know them all. But yeah, so and um, they were going to Sioux Falls from there. No, when you me. finished them here, I when mean, I finished them, they would they'd go to Sioux Falls and same kind well, of a, not necessarily to Sioux Falls, okay? Because then we were. We were selling direct to the packing house. Okay. And some would go to Sioux Falls Stockyards. But some would go like to Tyson. Some would go to Morale. Some would go someplace else. Was there a Tyson plant in Sioux Falls at that time? or Tyson is in Nebraska. Okay. Not right close to Sioux City. Right. Sure. And uh, would the guy from the plant come to your place to look at the cattle and, had, and make a deal on them? They had a buyer that would come. Yeah, and he traveled around to different yep. places and put loads together. Yeah, and was it a whole load from here at a time or most generally? Gotcha. Yep. And has that been kind of the way things have been done here? Yep. Since then, still, still kind of that way. Not that way now, but just two years ago that we decided to background calves okay. instead of fatten them. I see, and so they're going to a. Finishing yard go, somewhere else. Go to a sale barn. Right. Okay. You guys sell them through the sale barn. Has were there were there more sale barns around when you were younger, or has it always been kind of what it is now? No, there was more. The Brookings had a sale barn. Mm-hmm. Coleman had a sale barn. There was several sale barns. Where do they go now? Now they go to uh, one by Sioux Falls. Okay. It's not in Sioux Falls anymore, but when we have a sale barn in Madison that we've patronized. Gotcha. gotcha. A lot of our uh, cull cows go to Madison. 
Darren, what do you think? Anything else major? Yeah, just um, when he started feeding cattle, you know, he put up the silos <clears throat> so he could mechanize everything. And then he went from feeding from the silos to doing the feed wagon later on. And and th- and that was in the 50s? When, when did you build the silos? Probably in the 50s. Started in the 50s. Up till that point, it was still a two-bushel basket feeding? Yep. <laughs> you and your boys and hired, did you have some hired men still? One. One, yep. And the, you all were getting that done every day? Yep. And then the what was the early mechanization of the feeding process? What did that involve? What were you using to feed them mechanically? Well, we for the first things we did was put a, um, made a cement bunk that we could put an auger down the middle of it. We bought, the auger was in 10-foot lengths. Then you had a stand at the end of every 10-foot lengths to support the auger. Then you had to have an electric motor to run the motor, or run the gearbox that would, then you had put the feed down in front of the, front of the bunk and it would auger it clear to the other end. That's how we kind of got started. And then later on why we started using a feed wagon of sort to build another yard and had two yards for with that uh, augers and stuff for then feed wagon. Then we built all the pins on we have uh, five pens out a ways away from the buildings now that we feed cattle with. And those, you have to have a feed wagon to fill the bunk. Sure. Gotcha. Any of that still in operation? Some of the old? None of the old stuff. Gotcha. I remember using the the auger bunks just very little when I was younger. I remember going to watch Grandpa doing chores with my uncle, and they would be running corn out of one silo and silage out of another silo into that auger, trough and auger. And then one reason why I remember it is because I thought it would be neat to stick my foot in it. And I started to, and I was snatched up by an uncle pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Was that a common practice? Was that the the common way of doing it, the auger in the bunk? Was that how there people was, in the neighborhood did it? There were several of them that were, were trying that. But it wasn't long until the weed uh, feed wagons came in into play, and that was pretty much the sure. end result. Sure. And that was the feed wagons were a safer way to do it. Would you say, or what? What was the attraction of doing it that way? Well, you could you could uh, feed more cattle. I suppose you didn't have to have the bunk, the auger in every bunk, and yeah, sure, gotcha. Anything you were hoping to to share? Any any pieces of history you feel like I've missed, or things that I mean, we've we've only we've we're, we've covered a, I don't know a long time period here, just in an hour. But I mean, anything that you felt like could back to the school days when I walked to school, and the snow was deep. We used to have telephone lines along the in the ditch of the school road. I mean, and I used to walk. To school, I'd just reach up and hang on to the telephone wire. 
The snow was that deep. Ah. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, that's a... There was many days when we had blizzards that you could not could not see to go anywhere. Right. At one time, one year, one year, my dad, we had a severe storm, and he took a rope and tied it to the barn and um, mm. led up to the house and used the rope as a guide to know how to get from the barn to the house. Yeah, and I guess back in those days when the snow came, it, there was no real good way to move it, so you just kind of would work around it. Generally, the three-day blizzard was pretty popular back in <laughs> when I was a youngster. Yeah. So a lot of the guys I've talked to in in my neighborhood talk about the blizzard of 49. Do you remember, did that come this far east, or do you remember remember that specifically? I don't remember it specifically. Gotcha. It might not have come this far east, dude. They were, the, the last people I talked to said that they forecasted a dusting of snow and it was in January, I think, and it was really cold. It ended up being really cold, windy, and and uh, long, long yeah. three day blizzard kind yeah. of a thing. So, yeah. Were you guys surprised by weather much, or did you kind of know it was coming when it was coming? Or, well, we were pretty much aware of the possibility of it coming. In a radio, is that how you would hear about it? Or yeah. Radios were kind of, kind of scarce at that time. Right. So these, the ones I was talking to said that they would only plug in the radio in the evening, kind of to listen to the to the the weather in the news or whatever. Did you, <laughs> did you have electricity and and all that? Yes, we had electricity. That's another thing that I would like to relay, is that after this house was built, I don't know how many years later, but. My dad purchased a, a generator, and we had batteries, and they were 32 volt. And they were in the basement of the house, and the generator run with a gas engine. Okay. And uh, I still remember the smell of the, of the gas engine whenever we had to run it in order to charge up the batteries. But we had 32 volt light bulbs, and they were... They were uh, popular all the time that I was in grade school, pretty much. But there wasn't refrigeration or anything. It would. It was just to run. Those batteries were just to run the light bulbs, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah, and then refrigeration was an ice box. Right. Is that right? And then they would. Uh, was it stored? Did each bar, each farm store their own ice, or did you go to a public place to get ice and bring it back to the? No, we had a a guy that delivered ice. Okay. Went around the country just like they deliver other stuff. Right. Yep. It wasn't UPS, but <laughs> was there was there milk delivery back then, or you guys had your own milk because you were milking cows, or there was milk delivery some places, but we never did. Right. And then the milk that you guys were taking to Brookings probably would have been delivered milk that was delivered to somebody else. I mean, somebody else, yeah. Yeah. And you talk about separating it. So then, the milk that you took in was it was it skim milk? Then or some of it was. We also had cream. Just right. The, and when you separate the cream, yeah. you end up with skim milk, don't you? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm, 
I've enjoyed this very much. I don't know if I'm missing anything major, but I, I appreciate your time very much. So, well, I, I thank you, Darren. Yeah. Anything else? Not that I know of, unless he wants to touch on how they heated the house. Yeah. Oh, well, we heated it with a furnace in the basement, and uh, we cut every every fall. It was had a gather up all the crew that was around to saw down trees, ash trees, and uh, generally went down to, we have a river bottom pasture, we call it. Sioux River goes through it. And uh, go down and cut wood for a couple of days and throw it in the truck and haul it home and throw it in the, they had a separate room in the basement just for wood. And then we didn't start buying coal till, oh, till I was a teenager at least. But the reason they started buying coal was to, you know, when they just burned wood on the real cold nights, somebody had to get up and put more wood in the furnace to keep keep yeah. it warm. The coal would burn longer then. Yeah, yeah. And was there a chute from the outside that you'd throw the wood or the coal just, into just a window uh, just okay. a window throw it throw it through the window so it would have to be it was all split and ready to go in before yeah. you ever brought it in well not necessarily all split okay a lot of it was gotcha that was another job i had to do when i got home from school it was split wood and had to go out in the pig pen and pick up cobs to burn in the cook stove mm. uh whether there was uh half covered with manure or not or snow you kind of knock off what you could and have a basket full sitting in the house by the stove so my mother could use it to start the stove and mm. heat heat it for breakfast and dinner and it was uh it was a would it have been called a corn cob stove then or what would you burn other things in it or we, i don't think we ever did burn anything else than cobs in it it wasn't a very big place to put okay. stuff in. Sure. And was there an, an oven and a cooktop on yes. in that? Yes. In that, and uh, did your mom uh, cook three meals a day on that? Yep. We had uh, potatoes and some for to some form of meat or eggs three times a day. <laughs> and uh pork quite often and yeah and how was that kept how did you how did well it's kept in a barrel that they use salt to preserve it yep like a crock right would yep. it have been a stone crock yeah and then i talked to one lady one time actually what kind of inspired me to start doing this was she told me about her mom had a a stone crock and she would render the lard and it would be a layer of sausage and then a layer of lard and then a layer of something else and a, and was it do you remember it being like that oh yeah my mother didn't layer like okay. that but uh but uh they rendered the lard and it seemed like she put it in little uh cans and whatever and i don't remember whether it was stored uh outside for a while or what but Used for cooking? Yeah. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Delicious. <laughs> lard, po- potatoes and meat cooked in lard. I mean, that's good eating. Is the uh, boiled potatoes that we had for for uh, dinner, lunch, and noon lunch. Then there, she cut them up and then fried it for supper lunch. Okay. And uh, breakfast was, of course, eggs and toast, and seemed like we always had potatoes there too. Sure. And did she? Did you keep any of the wheat to make into flour for the toast to make the bread? Or? No, we did not. Bought the bought the flour in yeah. town, but probably. Oh, she was baking bread every week. Right, and a couple of times a year you would buy flour. Not wouldn't be every Saturday. Yeah. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. That was really good. I really enjoyed it. Go ahead. Was uh, one of my kids had asked about water, and so I was wondering if you could explain how we got water in the house before rural water. Well, there was a cistern underneath the one room in the house, and we had eaves troughs that collected all the water and went in that cistern. And then we had a charcoal area in the base in the cistern where the water would go through that charcoal and supposedly would purify it because we never did anything else to purify it. Hmm. Wow. And so would it be come out of out of there by bucket? A bucket uh, at a time? No, it had a little hand pump. Okay, gotcha. Yep. Uh, a hand pump pulling it through that charcoal filter, basically. Right? Yep. And then into a bucket yep. out of the hand pump and then... Used it for for bathing, washing, clothes, cooking, all that. Oh. Drinking. Whole nine yards. <laughs> and how big was that cistern? Well, it was pretty good size. It was pretty good size. I don't know. It, it was probably... I think it's pretty close to 16 or 18 feet deep. It's It's pretty deep. Still there? Huh. Wow. And what's it made out of? Cement. Cement. And that would have been cement that was mixed and, and poured in before the house was built over yeah. top of it? Yeah. And this was in the basement? Yeah. Huh. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> was there a basin then that the dishes were done in and, and all that? Yeah. And clothes separate in a, dish, in a different place? Washed in a different place? or Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Rung them out, hung them on the line, or how were they dried in the winter? <laughs> Just wear the same clothes all winter? <laughs> well, they put out on the line when it was fit. But when it was, huh? Otherwise, they were hung on in throughout the house on a string of some kind. Right, in, in the wood heat or whatever would yeah. dry them out. Man, that's neat. Yeah. Good? That's about it, yeah. Okay. I just... The stories Grandpa's always told, and other people I've heard tell stories, the people his generation and older were just tough. Yeah. Tough folks. And yes. it's amazing what they went through to make it easy for us <laughs> these days. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I, yeah. No, I very much appreciate the, the time, and it was great. I really, really enjoyed it. So, thank you. It doesn't matter whether you're on the backfield or the front yard. On Mo Day, perfection is a game of inches. It's a battle of fence line and fierce terrain. 
out there on that grasshopper mower. You don't let anything stop your stripes. Nothing stands in the way of a job well done. For more on Mow Day and Grasshopper Mowers, visit grasshoppermower.com. Very good stuff there. Really, really appreciate that opportunity and uh, really looking, really excited about this. Uh, heard from some people who have uh, taken the opportunity after hearing these episodes to gather up some equipment and go out and, and do the same thing with people they're aware of in their neighborhoods. And I'm, I'm really excited about that uh, impulse being, being awakened and people getting out and, and doing those things. So uh, keep up that good work and, and hopefully we'll see uh, some of that get uh, shared publicly and, and just continue to capture some of this history. Uh, very much uh, appreciate that. Next week on the Working Cows podcast, really looking forward to sharing with you uh, an interview I did with Ken Redman. Ken uh, is the son of Carney Redman. Um, maybe those names don't sound familiar to some of you. Maybe they do to others. But really what this episode is about is about linear measuring. Now, linear measuring is the tool uh, behind uh, what we've talked with Steve Campbell about. We've talked to Steve about... Uh, the Red Solo Cup Cow and about bull sale catalog wish lists and what we want for, uh, for these reasons. And, and so uh, Ken and I uh, are going to dive into an in-depth discussion about ratios and why this works better than that as far as this width uh, or this circumference compared to that length and some of those things. And a uh, really good conversation with Ken. I'm looking forward to sharing with you uh, real soon for another episode of the Working Cows podcast. We invite you to visit workingcows.net to subscribe to the show via iTunes or Stitcher. You'll also find detailed show notes pages, resources from our guests, and the industry leaders who have influenced them. For more ideas on putting your cows to work for you in a more profitable way, tune in next week. <laughs>